In our modern era, people have an issue telling the difference between truth, error, and lies. Today, we're going to be talking about critical thinking and how important that is to the Christian life. Because God didn't design us to be people who were just stuck in an endless pit of uncertainty, but instead to have a moral compass where we are discerning in the world around us. And discernment, it was very important in the early church, and guess what? It's still important today. <laughs> now, in our study of critical thinking, we're going to be using the illustration of the movie Rear Window, which is a 1954 Alfred Hitchcock film. Now, this movie is really awesome. It takes the idea of a man who's sitting with a broke leg watching out the back of his apartment. He thinks his neighbor may have committed a murder. Hmm. And he's trying to convince others that this is the case. Now, this movie, it is a phenomenal exercise in critical thinking where one has to make a risky moral calculation. They have to make a risky decision and take risky action without all the information and while having no hope of obtaining all of the information. Now, Rear Window, it navigates the tension between trust the experts and then real-life living, real-life reasoning. Moreover, it also suspends itself between the tension of female intuition and male logic. And many elements of the story are told visually through a window. And in the same way that in our lives, it would look pretty weird if people saw you <laughs> doing things at home, it's actually pretty weird to examine what other people do when you get beyond sort of the pictures people post online. We all do a lot of weird things. But yet, even though we don't always know what's going on in someone else's heart, we still have to interact with them. We have to make decisions on whether or not I help somebody. Do I reject this? Does this need correction? Does this need a little bit of help to move in the right direction? We are always making moral decisions. And here in the last few years, with things like the coronavirus and just things being thrust on our society, we have to learn to be critical thinkers who make risky decisions because a lot of times you just kind of find doom if you sit idle. So thank you for joining us. We're going to be talking about critical thinking today. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. There are two others with me. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin? Sure. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So in Rear Window, they got to make a pretty difficult decision. They might end up in jail themselves if they chose wrongly about trying to persecute this man for a murder he didn't commit. Though if they're right, then it's not persecution at all. They're not just, you know, predatorily watching somebody. They're actually trying to give justice to his wife who was killed. We in the world... We have to make these difficult decisions. And I want us to begin today by going to Scripture and looking at a difficult decision made by Esther with her cousin Mordecai. Now, there's a complementary nature between Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai kind of raised Esther as if she was his daughter, even though she's not. But a villain has come along and is going to kill the people of God living in the Persian Empire if she doesn't do something. Esther is the queen there in that massive kingdom and she has the ability to do something. Mordecai can do something too, but only so much. They're both kind of limited in what they can do. And let me read from you in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, where Esther responds to Mordecai saying, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Neither eat nor drink for three days, nor night or day. And I and my maids will fast as you do. And after that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She's making a risky decision here. Hmm. 
Pastor Amanda, would you talk to me about the potential outcomes if Esther, what is the potential outcomes mm-hmm. in this situation? Well, yeah, so there's kind of three options that Esther's having to deal with, right? If she goes before the king, he could, because it's illegal to go before the king without him asking for you to come, which is also a very weird rule um, that makes it difficult to have, I'm sure, as a king, any kind of like friendships. But anyways, um, putting that aside, uh, she can go before him and he could listen to her, but still decide to uphold Haman's uh, edict or Haman's edict and kill the Jews. He can choose to not listen to her and which would result in her death and also the death of her people. Or uh, best case scenario, he would listen to her and save her life and the life of her people. And we see these kind of three options are very real in the minds of both uh, Mordecai and Esther because, I mean, otherwise there would be no need to fast and pray for three days. There would be no need to uh, be scared of this situation for Esther to say, if I perish, I perish, or if I die, I die. Uh, There's real risk involved. And yet, even with these three options, Mordecai and Esther know that to do nothing is then the only option gets reduced to worst case scenario where everyone dies. Um, This is why, this is a real choice. This is not a a mind game or a thought experiment. This is really truly life and death or death. And Mordecai and Esther in each of their own capacities and strengths and gifts and graces have to decide what to do with it. Sure, absolutely. And Pastor Mike, I have a question that I wanna throw towards you on all this. Whenever we don't have all the information, it's always tempting to sit idle. You know, the world actually teaches us to do this. Oh, trust someone else who has more information than you, which is also a fallacy because the experts don't actually have all the information. The truth is the world is trying to get us to sit idle until a certain amount of information is gathered. But I kind of want you to respond to this temptation, this and I really do categorize this as a temptation. It's a, a work of evil to convince you that it's okay to sit idle when you don't have all the information. Because in the case of Esther and Mordecai, it would have been very badly. In the case of Rear Window, if Jimmy Stewart character, if his character just decides to ignore this, then a murderer is going to get away with it and may go on and committing these crimes again and again. So your thoughts on the temptation to sit idle when you don't have all the information? Yeah, the temptation to sit idle, it, it really is a sin of, of apathy, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you can act. Um, you know, the whole understanding of Jesus exercising demons is, is really to exercise evil. And so when you're presented in those situations, they're very, you know, it, it, it does. It, it is dangerous. It causes you to be uncomfortable. But you have to make those decisions because you're called to be the image of God and reflect this righteousness that God has in the world. And there has to be this concern for others. Uh, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, and all, it, not just the people you know, but all of those, God calls us to take, uh, you know, action and to care for them, to go to those uncomfortable places. And so it has to be, uh, you know, something that is not just of our own understanding, but it is really a design and a purpose that God has for us. Mm. Yeah. So in this movie, Rear Window, which how we'll probably do the rest of this program. Even if you haven't watched this film, I think you'll enjoy our cultural commentary. I'm just going to take some themes from the movie and throw them out there and let people respond to it. But I want to have some final thoughts on this, this temptation to sit idle. Mm -hmm. The world tells you, you know, trust the experts, wait on others to come for you. It's easy to do that. And it's easy to comfort yourself in that mentality. But we live after the fall 
We live before the judgment of the living and the dead. We are not guaranteed any perfect or even good outcomes in the affairs here in this life. Mm. But we are called to live righteously and to do actions that are righteous. Mm. And that often means we're going to have to take the initiative in spurring some of these dangerous things. And so, so far in the modern world, we find a lot of people aren't willing to take that first step. They would rather be comforted. But we do need to realize that critical thinking itself is a reward. Truth is its own reward. Being willing to take that step is very important. Mm. Okay, so some interesting ideas from the movie. Jimmy Stewart has a broken leg and is stuck at home. Well, he has a lady that's coming to tend to him. She's a nurse from the insurance company. And she is trying to spur Jimmy Stewart and his girlfriend, Grace Kelly, to get married. Now, they kind of haven't gotten married yet. Jimmy Stewart is reserved about it because he's like, oh, I'm a lowly photographer. I don't make much money. She is a high-end. She she sells and deals in dresses and things, and she only wears a dress once. You know, the (laughs) dress she wore for me just for the evening cost over $1,000 in 1954 money, so very expensive. Expensive, And he's of the mindset that they're incompatible with one another. And and you can also look at this as intuition itself and logic are incompatible with one another because that's kind of what this is representing. But the nurse comes along and says, you've studied yourself under the microscope. You've looked at one another like lab rats, like specimens so far that you can't even tell what you really look like. Mm. You've thought about this so much that you've forgotten the basic principles. She, in effect, says, you know, when me and my husband got married, we were kind of foolish kids. And now 30, 40 years later, we're still foolish, but we're 30, 40 years older. (laughs) But you know what? We love one another and we made it through the years. There's this idea that says you can overthink things. You take small things and make them so big that you get in the way of critical thinking. You take things that are not a big deal and blow them way out of size. That happens a lot and stops critical thinking. But another idea is the, the idea that intuition and logic are incompatible Mm. when in truth the two do complement one another and come together to help you reason through the world responses to that yeah well i I think that's again yeah we try to make that but really what intuition is and i I think you've said this before intuition is kind of logic that's happening on a subconscious level it's not illogical right but it's not always nameable or quantifiable or even provable eventually it does become provable or uh That's a weird word to say. But uh, yeah, eventually we can get to the point where we can say, okay, I had this gut feeling and this is how it actually played out. And we may not have been right in all the little minutiae, but generally most people's intuition is fairly spot on. And, And I think that's because our intuition often is based in kind of a survival mode. Uh, the back kind of the back parts of our brain, uh, when the hair sticks up on the back of our neck, there's something in the situation that has alerted the most, um, I don't want to say simplistic, but the most basic instincts within us. This is right. watch. Like, this is where our, our, you know, our ears get a little more sensitive. Our eyes are getting more sensitive. Right. There's something we need to take in, and we can't always name it, but something is telling us to do, well, something. And I think we can call it intuition, gut feeling. Uh, honestly, I think we can call it the Holy Spirit uh, because God's grace is always happening and so uh, even when we don't want to even call it prevenient grace it is working in our lives and prevenient grace works in our lives even after we have experienced god's salvific grace Uh, i hope it is at least but anyways there's always that grace that may be unnamed 
But there is that. So, so intuition and logic are not combative, but complementary. And this right. is, and we see this in this kind of family that's becoming a family, and, and this boyfriend and girlfriend, and even the nurse becomes part of this little family as right. well, uh, where you need all these voices and all these gifts and graces to work in and to speak into one another so that justice can happen, right? So right. if somebody ignores the intuition and just the logic, then that's where you get the police saying, well, you know, the rules say A, B, and C, and you haven't met A, B, and C, therefore we can ignore you. And if you just do intuition versus listening to the, the logic or the cold hard facts, uh, you can often misunderstand or misinterpret kind of what the little gray cells are to, to steal a line from uh, Poirot. But so you need both to speak into one another sure. and to understand one another. And again, they're not contradictory or competitive, although I guess we could kind of say competitive, but their com competition is to be complementary. Right, right. And I want to build off that a little bit by moving now to talk about discernment with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Because Romans 12, too, we know we talk about this all the time, where be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not conform to the patterns of this world. Well, you know, that's not just about the the virtue in our lives in the sense of you know i'm no longer living in sin but it's also about how we think and reason through things oh, yeah. how, how we actually critically think even setting aside the sin issue though i'm not <laughs> telling us to set aside the sin issues forgive my imperfect language with, with just how we deal with situations when we're choosing what path to take god designed our minds to be critically thinking to be spurred into action mm -hmm. and what we find here, when you look at intuition and you bring that to the case of discernment, you know, the Holy Spirit, when we are given that gift of discernment, it doesn't come to you in a nice little folder where you open it up and it's got all the bullet notes in there and credentials where you can take it to a court of law and say, this proves whatever it is that I discerned. No, it doesn't work like that at all. It's very mysterious often. Mm -hmm. And the subconscious puts together a lot of details that our conscious mind doesn't understand or doesn't even understand how they're connected. But the subconscious is like, hey, there's some red flags here. And this is largely a gift from God, both in God's original hand of providence, creating Adam and Eve, and then also the Holy Spirit working throughout the ages, throughout the, the generations of, of men and women. God has worked in our minds to give us these tools where, hey, your subconscious mind can figure out a lot of things that your conscious mind can't. And we really should be paying attention to those. Mm -hmm. The modern world wants us to shut that off, but we really should be paying attention to those. Pastor Mike, I've got another question for you. The nurse in this movie makes a really great statement that I think is very much foreshadowing not just the decline of our civilization, but also the decline of critical thinking. And I'll kind of see your initial take on it, and then I'll add my own thoughts. She makes the statement, we're becoming a society of peeping Toms. <laughs> She's kind of upset with Jimmy Stewart for looking out the back of his window with binoculars and the long lens on his camera. And she makes the statement, you're, we're becoming a society of peeping Toms. Pastor Mike, your response to that statement that we are now the society of peeping Toms. Well, it's true. I think any time we go to, you know, out to eat or whether we go to the store to shop, we see people coming out. I mean, you see people dressed in their pajamas at a lot of places. And we do. We look and we see. You know, it's interesting, though, that in our architecture and a lot of our church buildings, we have those beautiful rose windows that kind of sit really and truly, if you think about it, at the back of the the uh, the, the church there. And it's not un under the pulpit, but it's in the actual back. And so when you look at that, that the theology behind that is that is the window for God to look in and see his people worshiping. I think 
you know, God is definitely not a peeping Tom. And yet we're still a people who is very interested in everything that's going around us. And so we do. And and it's no longer just looking in a window, but you look on Facebook, you look on social media, you look in many different ways, and we are curious people. And, you know, I think there's something about us that there is a, a healthy balance where we should be interested in our neighbor. And, and we shouldn't be overly nosy, obviously, but there is this healthy understanding that we are to care about one mm-hmm. another. And so there is an element, whether they call it peeping toms or nosy neighbors or whatever, there is an element that community needs to care for one another, to look into one another's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know when I grew up, you know, I, I was often given free range of our our little community and neighborhood, ride my bike anywhere, you know, I had certain times had to be home. But anything I did, I can tell you, if I got out of line, the community would let my parents know, and I probably got a spanking or two over it. (laughs) But, you know, that was a healthy understanding of what it means to be looking. And so when she says we've come a a society of peeping toms, I think it's more of a negative of Mm -hmm. something that is really meant to be positive. Uh, but yes, yeah, she is correct, and we have gotten very negative. You pe- you see people, you know, spying and gossiping and doing all kinds of things. Where I don't think that is the original intent for that desire and that curiosity of our neighbor. Mm. And so, anything that is designed to be good, it, you know, you get evil involved. It's, they try to use it for bad. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to take a totally different take on that because I think this is a very negative thing because. I mean, what is pornography but you just being a peeping Tom at home? Hmm. Um, and well, you look and it at, demoralizes not only the person and, and puts them down to a subject, but it also damages your mind. And so yeah, you're, you're yeah. standing more from the peeping Tom side where it's negative, but I think there's a whole, you know, uh, understanding that we should be looking into well, a I'm healthy gonna get look to that people. in a moment. But I want to actually talk about the peeping Tom thing because in our society – and and you kind of brought up pajamas and stuff like that. We actually invite the peeping Tom-ism quite often. I mean, people joke about the, the – there's all the memes about people who set up the things where they kind of do like pornography at, from their homes. But also people put all kinds of things on Facebook that really should not be put on Facebook. Mm. They kind of air out personal things that really shouldn't be. But they kind of invite people to, to get into their own personal drama. Like we have actually designed ourselves with social media with, you know, the pornography that just is in abundance in our world around right now and all over the Internet to where it is largely set up to encourage you to peep on other people's personal lives and also to reward you when you expose <laughs> your personal life and things that God did not mean for it to be out in public. There are times for the shades to be pulled down for sure. And so even, that applies not only to the window in the house and everything, and especially we see in this movie. And in fact, there is a scene where the, the newlyweds, you know, she, she says, hey, pull the shades down or turn the blinds on, whatever you got to do. But, you, you know, there is this understanding that social media is not a place uh, for to air out everything. There should be somewhere to pull the shade down, to turn the blinds off, turn the lights out. Um, so to speak, and not air everything out to the world. Mm. And to the fact of critical thinking, being a peeping Tom 
you know, internet pornography getting just nosing around and people stuff on social media. It is antithetical to critical thinking. We, we know that it rewires the brain. Like you can actually see the, the science in this, the dopamine trips, the constant release of hormones, the constant intake of hormones and things that your body is not in the natural cycles that God created. It makes you less likely to actually be in control of yourself. It makes you less likely to say no to things that you should be saying no to. Mm -hmm. It just makes you really given over to the worst possible lifestyles really quickly in a lot of ways and takes you from being somebody who can think critically to someone who's largely a slave to the hormones and slaves to whatever ideas and sensations the world is placing upon you. So being a society of peeping toms actually is antithetical to being someone who's critical thinking. But now let's get Amanda's take on this because the mm -hmm. nurse also throws in that. She says, are you looking at something that's worth having your, your eyes put out with a hot iron? Back when I was young, if someone was a peeping Tom, we, we took a hot iron and poked their eyes out. But there, there is a real question, though, because we actually should be paying attention to the world around you. And this is where the other side of things come in. Is it actually worth that risk? Because sometimes it actually is worth the danger. Like with Esther's case, it's not a hot iron to poke her eyes out, but the king's you know, scepter coming for it's actually worth the risk. So what are your thoughts on there are moments where it's worth risking the hot iron to <laughs> investigate further? Well, I think this is where we go into like form follows function or right. Because the, there is a reason to do things. Why? To what end is what I've been asking myself and my family, and my church a lot recently. Why are we doing the things we are doing? And I think that's what Pastor Mike was hinting at uh, or not even hinting at. He said quite clearly if we're looking after our neighbor because we want what's best for our neighbor, that's going to, we're going to reap quite a different result than if we're looking at our neighbor because we want to judge or um, be, you know, voyeuristic. And, and I think what we find in this is oftentimes our desire to peep into other people's lives, whether it's, you know, literally being a peeping Tom or simply just, you know, Facebook stalking it. If it's somebody else's drama and somebody else's problem, then it makes me feel better, right? Like if I see this pro if I see the person in Walmart walking in their pajamas, I can go at least I'm not them. Right, right. And what what that does is you're talking about an eye a hot iron in someone's eye. What it does is it allows us for as Jesus will say, we get to ignore the plank in our eye while we're right. all staring at the speck in our neighbor's sure. eye. And, and I think that's the difference. And the church has always battled that um i was reading somewhere recently about the the how the creeds were formed and gnosticism and the fight against gnosticism and it was kind of interesting this commentator was saying as much as you know john's gospel quite literally lays it out gnosticism bad and yet with the nicene which Creed, is hidden knowledge the right, idea that there's knowledge. some special secret well somebody there. knows something that you you either have to pay into or know the right person in order to get the special knowledge so then you can uh, right. do whatever you need to do, be the person you're supposed to be. So John's gospel lays it out really simple, bad, 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 bad. And then the church, you know, a couple hundred years later, in about in the early 300s, they have the council in Nicaea, and they're trying to formulate the, the language and the words and by which we are to articulate who Christ is. And that was good and right and true. And yet, that creed almost became a form of Gnostic for some churches because then they could beat their neighbor over the head with it and be like, well, you didn't say it quite right or you didn't say it the way, you know, we all said. And we think after the Nicene Creed, everyone like, which is like, yeah, the problem's done, but it took 
hundreds of years for that to really fully be settled. And it didn't even really get fully settled and it leads to the Great Schism and some other things. But anyways, the point being, the church was very comfortable to pull, point at Gnosticism when it was outside of the church and yet always had to deal with it even inside the church. And again, we do this today. Like, oh, you didn't talk about entire sanctification exactly right. You didn't say the words I like to hear. So, you know, boo for you. And we see this in that in this movie, too, where everyone's looking at everyone. And even though really Jimmy Stewart's character is the one that's doing most of the, the, the looking, this whole community is kind of filled with people who are connected because they're all in the same apartment complex. And yet they're so disconnected because they have objectified their neighbor. Yeah, and I want to build off something you said earlier on there. One of the reasons why, and again, this is it is destructive to critical thinking when we do this, when you make everything out to be a comparison. Mm. Like I get online, oh, I saw that they have this problem over there. I feel good because I don't have that problem in life. That is not a legitimate metric for life. <laughs> no, it, it's not. No, and, no, and like, yeah, if I'm you're agreeing. weighing things out to say this is better than this because that is worse. problem is worse. Yeah, that is worse. That doesn't affirm anything in your life. And we do this largely with politics. We'll say, well, that's so bad over there, so this must be good. No, that's, that is not critical thinking. The whole just let me do one comparison to that. Now, if you're comparing things to Jesus, that's, <laughs> that, that is actually the correct metric. metric. <laughs> but, but when you're using another flawed metric, if you've got a broke tape measure and you want to find out how broke that tape measure is and you go get another broke tape measure, you, all you got is two broke tape measures. <laughs> you need one that is actually the full length. And what we have in our modern world really is trying to take one broken tape measure and compare it to another. And there's never any pursuit of truth in there. There's only just the hunt for which broken tape measure is better, which perspective is better than the other. And the question of actual truth is never brought in Mm. and it becomes very destructive. Now back to Alfred Hitchcock's rear window. I've got another question for dad. I'm going to throw at him. And I think he may have some thoughts on this so he can shoehorn it back in that other direction. But when you're actually trying to measure things in the world and you're looking out the window at your neighbor, one of the issues that comes up in the movie is they say, you know, it, if people looked in your window, you would look pretty peculiar. Why do you think he's committed a murder? You didn't see the body. You didn't see the murder happen. You just, you know, you've looked at this and thought that it's suspicious that she's now missing. But it is actually true. If you were to look in someone's life, a lot of the things they do would look really weird at my home. You know, I like to keep some allergy medicine behind like a fake plant on top of the refrigerator. And the reason why is I like to get coffee in the morning and take the allergy tablet and I don't want the allergy tablet bottle out. So I kind of hide it on top of the refrigerator. But if you were just to look through a window and see this dude like get a little bottle behind (laughs) a flower pot, a a flower pot and take a pill, you know, it would look kind of suspicious. There's something peculiar about that. Why isn't with the rest of the medicine? Dad, talk to me a little bit about that, about how. Things do often look peculiar, but that doesn't change the fact that there still is truth that's worth pursuing, even amidst the peculiarities. And I know you mentioned kind of God looking through the rose window. Kind of walk through that a little bit, this idea of looking in, even as things are peculiar, and what that really means. Well, you know, I think uh, I recently watched uh, a mythology. I know we're we're dealing with um, uh, the rear window, but uh, with Jason, Odysseus, and the Sirens, and, and how you know, the sirens would uh, change their, they're very evil looking and, and they have this, this uh, um, you know, 
presence of changing themselves to be very attractive and they play Mm -hmm. and they call out to the sailors as they drive by and so these two um, you know captains have different ways of passing by this island and and realizing that you know the great danger is and the beauty and of whether it be sight or sound is so powerful that you know they they know that they're their temptation how do they uh, resist that i think we see in this movie you know um jimmy stewart you know there's all kinds of things he could look at that are are ungodly go back and tell us how how do with the story of jason and odysseus well, i think yeah, how, how do they how do they solve where it's the going, sirens? You know, and, and so Jason and Odysseus they realize this same thing. They're looking out a window, and they have these sirens who are kind of a, a demonic type of thing that that is very mermaids. hideous. And then they can change and 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 look very attractive, like mermaids. Yeah, like mermaids, and and call them in. And so they come up with two different strategies. One of them pours wax in the in the the sailors' ears so they don't hear, and you know, kind of ties himself to the. Uh, Uh, the mast so that that he said whatever I say you know keep sailing past and then the other has this idea of playing beautiful music Mm -hmm. to drown them out so they stay focused where one focuses on a lot of don'ts and don't do this and don't do that and we see this contrast in this movie but it is very godly for us not to just be caught up with don'ts and don'ts and don'ts but to be caught up in pursuing the righteousness of God. And I think as we look at this movie, we see Jimmy Stewart very excellently, uh, you know, there's often temptations to look into the ballerina's window, um, who is sometimes getting undressed or whatever. But yet, he, you know, he kind of resists in all of this stuff. But this whole movie moves into a direction of of not just saying don't, 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 but really what is the call of doing the right thing and being in the pursuit of that? And so the call moves from a place of avoiding beauty, but looking for this perfect truth and perfect justice of God. And, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, um, some other things. I know personally, while I was pastoring in Nashville, I went to a um, a, a meeting and the police officers were there and he was saying you know that the word cop is an acronym for citizens on patrol and he said a lot of times there's just so few of us officers that we rely completely or not completely but a, a tremendously upon the citizens who are not paid, who are, who are just ordinary citizens, when they suspect something and their intuition says something's wrong, please act, call us. Sure, it may not be, it may be, but you are really the eyes and the ears that are really looking into the windows of our thing. And at that point in time, crime had dropped tremendously and they attributed that to the relationship with the community and trying to get citizens to act when they saw something suspicious Hmm. Uh, didn't mean every time something was was wrong but he said that's how they they apprehended and slowed crime down it is all about involvement and being it's not about a don't but it's do Hmm. do seek what is right and there's nothing more beautiful than pursuing the righteousness of god in this world and it calls us to action more than it calls us to don'ts and there is a place to say don't and no 
Uh, let's just be honest. But at the same time, the greater beauty in both of these, back to the mythology story, both of these sailors were able to pass the island, but there were two strategies there. The more beautiful one and more godly one is to 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 not try to destroy destroy desires but have godly desires in what we're seeking for and when when we seek righteousness and justice which is what this uh, rear window movie is about you see them actually you know breaking the rules or or maybe <laughs> even breaking the laws by you know at best case it's spying on your neighbors at worst case it's peeping toms but at the end of the day i think they wrestled with this question and, and I think it can best be said by Bonhoeffer, who says it's it's better to do evil than to be evil. And so I, you have to take a minute to think about that. It's better for them to look in the windows and act and call one another and try to find evidence to find justice for this poor, um, you know, lady that was um, semi-bread-ridden who was— you know, and I don't want to say she was an invalid, but anyways, she was she was just put out. Uh, she was killed. She was murdered heinously, and and yet they had to break in, break in entry to find evidence. And I'm not encouraging people to do that, <laughs> but I think that's exactly what Bonhoeffer is saying: to sit back and do nothing mm. is a greater sin than to act with the best. Of with the information you have, I know I kind of rambled there a little bit, but what do you what do you say in response to that? Well, we're getting here towards the end, and the last thing I want us to examine is with critical thinking. There's a lot of things that we don't have the ability to outline with. Mm. The thing with critical thinking is you're not actually going to have all the information. That's one of the things which is a really big holdup for a lot of people. We do need to say no to a lot of stuff, and. I don't want to diminish the power of the word no. A big part of critical thinking is actually saying no to things that need to be told no. Absolutely. In our modern day and age, a lot of people are passive when they should be saying no to stuff. And that happens when you, you get so worked over by sensations and whatnot, you forget the proper gravity of things. Well, in this movie, another issue they bring up is there's a lot that goes on in life that we don't know how to talk about. Mm. And this movie actually handles this in a really interesting way. It tells a lot of the story visually. It's just through a window, and it has to demonstrate for you, like the ballerina who has a lot of men who want her, but she doesn't want any of these men. She actually has a, a short little army guy who, in the end, is either her husband or boyfriend. We never know the full story, but eventually this guy comes home, and it's like they're, they're an old married couple suddenly. <laughs> but you find another lady who's lonely <laughs> and who is longing for, for a husband, longing for that. And yet she's broken by just the tragedy of loneliness. And the movie talks about a lot of things that we don't really know how to talk about by not using any words at all. And when it comes to discernment, oftentimes we are held up by not really knowing the words to talk about things. Even in mm -hmm. Scripture, in Romans 8, we, we get this illustration of things that are too deep for really to be put to words. And the Holy Spirit comes and intervenes and and it comes and intercedes on our behalf during these moments. I want to throw this to Amanda, and then I'll let Dad respond to it as well. I want to just look at the the unspeakable side of things, the intuit, intuitive side where we don't always know 
everything, but yet we still have to be critical thinkers in that midst. Your your general thoughts on on that? Well, I think this is why we have art, right? This I mean, this is why we have film, we have paintings, we have sculptures, we we have poems, we we even have fiction. We have art because it gives us words when words are not enough. Right. And it, this is why the church church would say it this way. Uh, this is why we have liturgy. This is why uh, we have big, beautiful church buildings is when words are not enough, even when scripture is not enough. And I'm not downplaying the importance of scripture. What I am saying is when we have reduced scripture to just simply words and it's not enough, it, it's not hitting the core of our hearts. It's not feeling, f- filling that void. We are not feeling it. Art comes in and says, uh, experience the love of God in a more primal way than words can often do. And so this is where we can see, this is where we hear, this is where we smell, where we literally taste the broken body and spilt blood. Yeah. This, this, it's art. It is, it is at the very core of our soul that, that invites us to say, when we know nothing else, we repeat the songs the music, the liturgy, the prayers that the church has handed us, and we may not always get it, we may not always understand it, and yet we step out on faith because, well, because there's nothing else we can do. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's the response to this, and this is why, and again, at no point does art diminish the need for science or critical thinking. Actually, when we look at a lot of art, when you look at paintings and music and sculptures, math and science is imbued in it. Like right. it, it works for a reason. But but art hits something that when, you know, centuries before we understood the human form and what atoms and molecules were, you could have artists who could sculpt out of harsh marble a human anatomy in ways that were confounding and they did this because they that intuition reached something that at that time they could not verbalize. And this is what liturgy does. This is what uh, the art in, in churches do, do uh, or does. This is why we have the stained glass windows, the depictions of the life of, of the people of God, of the saints of God. And they say in just in no words or very little words that this is who we are and this is who we are called to be. And so when we don't get it, and, and sometimes the other thing is it doesn't make sense. Uh, sorry to change subjects, but also the same thing. Paul, often we reduce Paul to this very argumentative figure trying to prove Christ. And yet several times throughout his letters, and very specifically in one of them, he will say this very simply, I know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Paul didn't write all those letters because he wanted everyone to have because he was the expert and everyone needed to follow him because he finally proved who Jesus was. His letters were never meant to whack people over the heads. He used logic. He, he used arguments, sure. But the primary, those were merely mediums. The primary expression was him giving testimony to a God that works in such big and mysterious ways and yet so personally that he would call Paul to be someone more than he could ever be. And so this is, so I I think that's, we don't always have all the information that doesn't excuse us from not getting as much information as possible, but it calls us to when the information ends, when logic ends, when human experience is at a complete, oh, there are no words that we step out on faith. Right. 
you know, often I think uh, to go with what Amanda says, you know, we're created in the image of God, and God is an artist. And so there are those who find such great beauty, and in, especially in a tremendous sanctuary with the stained glass windows and how they depict the pictures of Christ. And it does give, art gives a voice where there is a lack of words. But yet there are those who like to be out in nature, whether mm. you go to a waterfall or just really out anywhere. Look at the beauty of God's creation. And sure. so we see how wonderfully um, that that this art works. And so being created in the image of God, we find that desire to create art as well. So, um, yeah. So I, I just wanted to add that with what Pastor Amanda said. Yeah. And my final thought on this too is one of the reasons why Jesus uses parables is when you, you take and add the element of life to theology, you do find something that can't always be described philosophically. Mm. It's really interesting. And critical thinking is very much about taking that leap of faith. Mm-hmm. It, it is itself a leap of faith that the truth will be a reward. Pursue it. And even when you don't have all the information, still pursue it. Mm-hmm. So with that, thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos. God love you and have a blessed day.